The Tudor History and Travel Show is a podcast that brings Tudor history to life by exploring Tudor places and artefacts in the flesh. You will be travelling through time with Sarah Morris, the Tudor Travel Guide, uncovering the stories behind some of the most amazing Tudor locations and objects in the UK. Because when you visit a Tudor building, it is only time and not space which separates you from the past. And now over to your host, Sarah Morris. Hello, my time-travelling friends. It's Sarah, the Tudor Travel Guide here, broadcasting to all four corners of planet Earth. Now there's only one bit of housekeeping for this month's episode, and that's a reminder that booking is currently open for my forthcoming virtual summit. This is an annual event and a highlight of the Tudor Travel Guide calendar. And this year, I'm delighted to be putting the spotlight on one of my historical heroines, Anne Boleyn. Of course, it is in celebration of the fact that this year was the 500th anniversary of Anne Boleyn's first recorded appearance at the English court and the 10th anniversary of the first publication of my novel about Anne Boleyn, Le Ton Viendre, a novel of Anne Boleyn. I've called the summit 500 years of Anne Boleyn, it girl, icon, legend. Yes, it is a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but I think it reflects for me the enormous influence that Anne Boleyn had on the development of this little English nation and the fact that she really is still the poster girl of the 16th century. And just as she did in the 16th century, she is still capable of polarising opinion. Anyway, one of the things that I'm particularly interested in is exploring the nature of the relationships between people who shaped the woman that Anne would become, the very dominant and powerful female figures that emerged from Anne's early years, from her grandmother to Margaret of Austria to Louise of Savoy and the future Marguerite of Navarre, through to those characters who ultimately shaped and defined her downfall including, of course, the likes of Thomas Cromwell and, of course, Henry VIII himself. Over the course of several months, I have been meeting with people who are literally world experts in their field, from Dermot McCulloch talking about Thomas Cromwell, to Professor Glenn Richardson talking about Woolsey, Kate McCaffrey talking about those powerful women of Anne Boleyn's early years, and Tracy Borman, who gave a wonderful account of the intimate and loving relationship between Anne Boleyn and her daughter Elizabeth, which endured long after Anne Boleyn's death. Each of those talks was absolutely fascinating. Everybody was right at the top of their game, both in terms of entertaining, but also shedding an incredible amount of light and detail on the subject matter at hand. And I learned a lot I hope you will too. Now, this event is ticketed. It is $29.99. That's just the price of, I guess, two movie tickets. And of course, this particular summit goes out over two separate days, the 29th and 30th of October. But if you buy a ticket, you do not need to be able to make those videos as they go live because they will remain on my YouTube channel right the way through until the 31st of December so that you can revisit and rewatch any of those videos as often as you like over that particular period of time. 
If you would like to book your place and you haven't already done so, then all you need to do is check out the description associated with this podcast and I will leave a link where you'll be able to find more information and reserve your spot. Booking is open till the end of play on Sunday. I think it's the 23rd of October. So don't miss out. I always get people emailing me afterwards going, oh no, I missed it. Can I still join? Please don't be in that position. Make sure that you get your ticket well in advance. Okay, my friends. Well, that I think is the housekeeping for this particular episode. And now we can turn our attention to the focus of today's show. This podcast follows on from last month's podcast. If you recall, I was at Cowdery House in West Sussex and I was talking to Paul Olson about the history of the house. Well, I was lucky enough while I was there to meet up with Dominic Fontana, who is an expert and specialist in the Cowdery murals. Dominic brought along with him a large picture of the Mary Rose mural, which once adorned the dining parlour in Cowdery House, one of five fabulous murals that were unfortunately, of course, lost during the Great Fire, which destroyed Cowdery and reduced it to ruins. Dominic and I laid out a paper copy of the mural upon the ground. And so as we talk through this podcast, we are pouring over the picture, focusing in on the fine detail. And wow, what a story this particular mural once told. The detail is mind blowing. And I can guarantee you that you are going to learn things about that mural that you never knew before. Now, because there are so many visuals associated with this particular podcast, we have recorded what we call a modcast, which is a movie version of the podcast. And this is now available over on my YouTube channel. And so I'll put a link in the description associated with this podcast if you want to hop over and have a look at some of the visuals and the mural as Dominic is talking about them. Okay, well, let's go over and meet our guest. Dominic Fontana, welcome to the Tudor History and Travel Show. Oh, thank you for inviting me, Sarah. You're most welcome. And we find ourselves here again within the ruins of Cowdery House because, Dominic, you are an expert on a very particular set of objets d'art, which was once associated with Cowdery House. What, what, what are those objects? Of well, there were five absolutely fantastic murals that adorned the walls of the dining parlour here at Cowdray. They were really important pictures that recorded the doings of Henry VIII uh, in the summer of 1544, 1545, and then the coronation procession of Edward VI in 1547. That's fantastic. But I'm interested in how did you get interested in these? Well, years ago, I started working as photographer on the Mary Rose project. Gosh, 40 years ago now. Um, but that introduced me to this picture of the sinking of the Mary Rose. And subsequently, I went on to become an academic geographer um, and became interested in landscape and in computing to do with landscape. And the thing that had always intrigued me about this panoramic picture of the sinking of the Mary Rose was the incredible detail and the fact that the picture presents a very accurate geographical representation of the battlefield. 
And so really that started me off to try and unravel what those stories were. What was it that this picture was trying to tell us about what happened on the 19th of July, 1545? You know, I'm, I'm still obsessing about the fact you said you're an academic geographer. That's amazing. I didn't even know that existed, but that sounds right up my alley. I love it. I absolutely love it. Before we get into talking about the actual murals, maybe we should put them in context for people in terms of, um, you know, where were they in Cowdery House and who put them there and why? Well, it goes back to the tenure of, or the ownership of Cowdery, um, of Sir Anthony Brown. Now, he inherited the, the house and its lands, the estate, from his half-brother um, in 1543. Um, and at that point, I think, started to think about what he could do with the house. Mm -hmm. And then, as master of the king's horse, Sir Anthony was always very close to Henry in the latter part of his life. And in 1544, Henry decided to invade France, to try and take the Kingdom of France for England, or rather to um, really take it back to himself, as he always had that title, yes. King of France. Yes. Um, so Henry assembled a huge invasion fleet and an invasion army, which sailed from Dover across to the then English possession of Calais, assembled in Calais, developed all the logistics and the support that was necessary with the intention originally of going and marching on Paris and taking the whole of the Kingdom of France. But he'd done this in alliance with um, Charles V, Holy Roman Emperor, King of uh, France, uh, Spain, and um, he'd rather backed out of the deal, um, leaving Henry with a large army at Calais um, and no real possibility of actually militarily taking the whole of France. Mm -hmm. So he decided, Henry decided at that point, to lay siege to the town of Boulogne. And what the first three pictures in the dining parlour sequence of the, the uh, landscape pictures from uh, Cowdray House are about is that movement of Henry's army from Calais through their journey down to uh, Boulogne via the town of Marquisson, um, which is about halfway between the two, and then laying siege to the, the town of Boulogne. And it, as a series of pictures, is packed with incident and detail about what was going on. And it very, very much concentrates on the huge logistical effort that was necessary to support a large army out in the field. So um, why, why did Anthony Brown commission these portraits? What was so important for him? His part in the events, okay. so that we're here today talking about Sir Anthony and how Sir Anthony was so close to the king uh -huh. and managed to take part in some of Henry's great projects and very much in particular his part uh, in saving the kingdom in 1545 because 
having invaded France in 1544, well, it has to be said that that rather upset King Francois. Um, who, and Henry must have enjoyed that. Uh, absolutely. There was definitely no love lost between the pair of them, Henry and Francois. And um, it would have been something that would have prompted Francois to assemble a very large army in France, a very large fleet, so that they could sail to England and capture England for the French. So... Aha! And that leads us on to maybe one of the other murals, is that right? Indeed, into the, the uh, picture that shows the sinking of the Mary Rose and the events in Portsmouth in 1545. Now, I just want to explain to those people listening that Dominic has very kindly bought the most magnificent copy of that particular um, mural, which is entitled The Encampment of the English Forces Near Portsmouth, which is the famous mural which shows the sinking of the Mary Rose. But tell us more. Well, absolutely. What we have is a view looking uh, from high above, from north to south, across the southern shore of Portsea Island and over to the Isle of Wight with the Solent, that's the sea, in between Portsmouth and the Isle of Wight. And over on the left-hand side of the picture, we've got the mass of the French fleet. Mm -hmm. And Francois had assembled about 225 ships and about 30,000 soldiers. Wow. Massive army yeah, for the huge. time to land on English shores and take England for France. That's really what he was planning? Absolutely. You do not move 30,000 soldiers by ship unless you are very definitely planning to do something significant with them. Mm -hmm. It's very expensive. It's very difficult to arrange all those things. And Francois had gone to all the trouble of getting military support from the Pope. So even in the detail of the pictures, we have a galley here towards the front of the French fleet, which is flying the cross keys of St. Peter. Oh, I see, so and that's the Pope's blessing. Yeah, absolutely, with the Pope's blessing. And that had sailed with other Mediterranean galleys all the way from Venice and from Genoa, right through the Mediterranean, past the Straits of Gibraltar, up the coast of Portugal, and we know that they called in at Lisbon on their way north. They picked up a, uh, a pilot at Lisbon, a Dominican friar called uh, Ferdinand Oliveira, um, and he navigated them across the Bay of Biscay, up the western approaches to um, the, the northern coast of France, and got them into La Havre. Hmm. And then they travelled over with the rest of the French fleet from La Havre to uh, sit off the eastern end of the Isle of Wight, as it's shown in the picture showing the sinking of the Mary Rose. And I can see, is this the Isle of Wight here? Where yes. you've got, you've got, on the Isle of Wight, there are pictures of houses that are ablaze. So they obviously, did they maraud across are the they, Isle of Wight? The French made several landings on the Isle of Wight um, and the troops went inland to the eastern end of the Isle of Wight, burnt the village of Bembridge, um, and that's what you can see going on there. Mm made various attacks against small fortifications on the Isle of Wight. Um, in some cases, murdered some of the soldiers who were looking after those, those forts and firing guns on them, and indeed had a battle with the Isle of Wight and Hampshire militia 
up on the downs above Bembridge. <laughs> and in fact, there was a recorded incident of uh, a Captain Fisher who uh, was described as being a fat gentleman <laughs> who could not run. Oh dear. And he was heard to call out, a hundred pounds for a horse. Now this is before Shakespeare. Uh -huh, right. So that's, you think that's possibly the, the origin uh -huh. of that, uh, that notion, my horse, my horse. My yeah, kingdom my kingdom for a horse. For a horse. Uh, <laughs> and that, it really was quite a, um, a nasty little fight on the island. Right. And at that point, Henry's kingdom could have been hanging by a thread. Mm. So to Sir Anthony Brown, the whole of this event was something quite monumental. Um, and indeed, we, we see in the picture, here is Sir Anthony riding a fine grey horse immediately behind Henry VIII himself. Yes, right in the centre of the picture, we've got Henry VIII. He looks bigger than the house next to him, which is obviously meant to uh, aggrandise his very presence, one it's imagines. It's entirely <laughs> symbolic. <laughs> yeah, indeed so. And next to Sir Anthony is also uh, Charles Brandon. Oh, first is that Duke Charles Brandon? He's got yes. this really wonderful flowing white beard. It's not kind of the portrait we're normally used to seeing of Charles Brandon. No. But, but there you have, right behind Henry, as you say, the two figures that are most prominent are Henry and Anthony Brown in a very fine doublet that seems to be sort of lined with purple fur and a lovely gingery brown beard. Absolutely. <laughs> we see something of his, his actual appearance here. We do and I think also this tells us something about his character that he was somebody who wanted to be able to tell his dinner guests about the part that he'd played in saving the kingdom. You've been listening to the first part of this month's episode of the Tudor History and Travel Show. The remainder of this episode is available to patrons only. To become a patron of the show, head over to my Podbean homepage and you can find the Become a Patron button in the top right-hand corner. Alternatively, you can find a direct link to Become a Patron in the text associated with this podcast. And finally, just before I go, a quick reminder to say if you are interested in booking your place on this year's virtual summit, 500 Years of Anne Boleyn, it girl, icon, legend, then make sure that you hop on over to my blog, www.thetudortravelguide and subscribe to my mailing list. I will be sending out a notification as soon as the doors open. Thank you for tuning in to this month's episode of the Tudor History and Travel Show. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe, like and rate this podcast so we can spread the Tudor love. Until next time, my friends, it's happy time travelling. <laughs>